1: It's 9.30 in 716. Can the memory of Michael Jackson survive leaving Neverland? People all over
2: the world are going to be in an uproar and debating whether or not Michael Jackson did these things or not, whether these two men are lying or not lying.
1: After all, it has bounced back before.
2: I don't believe a word of anything in this documentary.
1: And the debate over Neverland's findings is shining a spotlight on the troubling and evident presence of child sexual abuse instances in general.
3: One of the things that is a positive about having more attention to this is it means that more people are going to be aware of it More people are going to talk about this. And then there's a a greater opportunity then for someone who has experienced this to get help.
4: The stranger danger teachings that we as a community went through in the 70s and 80s where you were teaching your kids not to get in white bands or not to take candy from strangers was really perpetrating a myth about who abusers
1: are. I'm Tim Wenger on 930 and 716, a heavy subject for sure, but a real one and one that reaches across all aspects of communities nationwide, a crime that seems to know no boundaries. And discussions like these are the result of an in-depth program that raises troubling and accusatory questions. Jackson's image was tarnished by allegations of sexual abuse that shadowed him throughout much of his adult life and even stood trial on child molestation charges in 2005 for which he was acquitted. His untimely death in 2009 seemed to wash that stain away in an outpouring of public love and a resurgence of sales of his always popular music. Now, ten years later, today's Natalie Morales says the HBO documentary Leaving Neverland has aired detailed and disturbing stories from two men who say Jackson groomed them for sex and molested them when they were just little boys.
5: While the accusations against Michael Jackson aren't new, the specifics and the details of what Wade Robson and James Safechuck uh, claim that he did to them have horrified so many, prompting even longtime Jackson supporters to question how this alleged abuse could have gone on for so long. And a warning once again, the allegations are disturbing.
2: I know people all over the world are going to be in an uproar. And debating whether or not Michael Jackson did these things or not, whether these two men are lying or not lying.
5: Oprah Winfrey weighing in on Leaving Neverland, the documentary that may forever reshape the King of Pop's legacy.
2: But for me, this moment transcends Michael Jackson. It is much bigger than any one person. This is a moment in time that allows us to see this societal corruption. It's like a scourge. On humanity.
0: It's Applehead.
4: Um, I was wondering, maybe sometime tomorrow night, we could see a
5: movie. It comes after part two of the documentary where Wade Robson and James Safechuck say that Jackson groomed them for abuse by befriending their families and helping them financially, and said they would all go to prison if anyone found out about their sexual interactions.
1: Michael told me that I had to lie, and that's what I did. lied
2: when you saw wade on the today show that triggered you to feel what
4: i panicked like i was being caught honestly it was just like a it was just that body panic and then you go okay he's getting help or you know he's he's further along maybe
1: maybe i can be like that
5: both robson and safe Chubb previously testified that jackson never touched them inappropriately Robson taking the stand for the defense in the singer's 2005 child molestation trial. Jackson was acquitted. Jackson's family and his estate, which is suing HBO for $100 million, called the film one-sided. As with virtually everything about Jackson, reaction to leaving Neverland has been swift and intense, with strong opinions on both sides. Judd Apatow tweeting, it takes days to recover from this documentary while talk show host Wendy Williams defended Jackson on air. I don't believe a
2: word of anything in this documentary. Okay.
5: And many of Jackson's fans say the allegations have forever tarnished his work. Muting R. Kelly was easy, but Michael Jackson is such a staple of my childhood and adulthood that I don't even know what to do with myself, writes one conflicted fan. Powering Oprah acknowledging that she may thrive. take some heat for taking on the king of pop. But that for her, a sexual uh, abuse survivor, the message is too important. These two men did not feel abuse
2: until much later on in life. And when you are a child, this is a message I want every parent to hear. You don't have the language to explain what is happening to you because you've been seduced and entrapped. So, Nat, as you mentioned, there are a lot of conversation online as this documentary was airing. I saw a lot of it on Twitter myself. Yeah. Some folks in support of the men for speaking out. A lot of folks, though, speaking out against the film itself. How
0: real has the backlash been?
5: Oh, the backlash is very, very real. I mean, Oprah even took some heat, as she expected she would on social media by many of the most loyal Michael Jackson fans. Many just refused to watch and, again, questioned the credibility and the motives of Robson and Safechuck. However, as the night progressed, and if you watched all four hours, there was a lot of support as well, You know, especially, again, from those who watched and then watched Oprah's conversation afterwards. They found it hard not to believe them, hard not to support them. It was extremely powerful and very emotional. And as Oprah said, it's a conversation that we need to be having in this Me Too era.
3: So certainly there's more public conversation happening about this.
1: And that is a good thing, say the experts. The Neverland documentary is not only raising scrutiny about Michael Jackson's legacy and past, but is shining a spotlight on the ongoing problem of childhood sexual abuse. Just this week, a former youth basketball coach in western New York was before a judge answering to charges he was targeting a minor for abuse. And that's just one of dozens and dozens of cases, according to Caitlin Powalski, director of the Advocate Department at Crisis Services in Erie County, who talked with Susan Rose and Brian Mazurowski on WBEN.
3: My unit is the sexual and domestic violence part of the agency, and we've certainly been doing this work for many years. But I would say over the course of the past year, We definitely see these conversations happening more in other office places, probably around family dinner tables, and the toll can be very difficult, not only for survivors and their loved ones who have experienced this horrific crime, but also for those of us in the field who, at times, we would go home and we weren't talking about this, but now we are, and we really want to create avenues for people to get help, and our hotline is a really great way to do that. If while we're talking about this this morning, anyone needs additional help or wants to talk, they can reach the agency at 834-3131.
2: You know, there's been such a talk just in the last few days with the new HBO documentary, Leaving Neverland, you know, putting renewed scrutiny on sexual abuse allegations against Michael Jackson. These allegations really have been around for a long time, but there's just so many more new details with this documentary. You know, in a case like this, Have you actually seen the the, uh, HBO documentary number one, but even if you haven't, you know, all this attention on it, what is this doing to that conversation?
3: So I think it's helping the conversation in a lot of ways because it's creating avenues for people who have access to HBO, who have access to Netflix, who have access to streaming capacity to not only see documentaries like that, but to then have further conversation or maybe learn more about what child sex abuse is, what it means for a survivor or a victim to experience these types of crimes, and then to further help seek. And so I think, you know, one of the things that is a positive about having more attention to this is it means that more people are going to be aware of it, more people are going to talk about this, and then there's a, a greater opportunity then for someone who has experienced this to get help. And I think one of the challenging things can be around these, especially when they're high-profile cases, is it can be really hard to believe that someone that we like, someone that we respect, or even somebody that we love is capable of doing horrific things to children and or to adult survivors. And I think that's the piece that's really important here, is that when someone is disclosing they have been hurt by someone, even someone they care about, it's important that we believe them and that we offer options, like talking to somebody like a crisis service or any of our other Victim service agencies in the county to really allow that person to get some power and control back and to figure out what's going to be the next step of their healing process. So while it is putting this issue more forward, I think it creates a lot of opportunity for our whole community to really support people who may have experienced it.
2: Are you finding more people are aware of some of those warning signs that may have been ignored in the past?
3: I think yes, in part because there's larger attention and there's more sort of open access to hearing about what this could look like through a documentary, for example. And I think we've done a better job in trying to look at this both from a legislative perspective but also from how do we talk about this in schools, how do we make sure that parents are able to talk to their kids about this, and how do we create essentially a community that holds perpetrators accountable. Because right now our silence or saying that it's okay or even saying that we don't know about it really is not – creating safe avenues for survivors to get help, and it's certainly not working to the best of our ability to prevent it. So through perpetrator accountability and through talking about it and really working collectively as a community, I think that we can really work to wrap our heads and hands around survivors and really make this better.
2: You know, Caitlin, you hear often of uh, people who, it takes years to be able to come forward, talk about uh, being a victim of abuse. Is it possible that they don't even realize that it was abuse until much later in life? I think that's definitely possible, in part because
3: we haven't done a great job of, of talking about this as a society historically. We're getting better in terms of identifying what's okay and what's not okay. And also, until fairly recently, this wasn't something that was you know seen in, in documentaries or talked around at dinner tables. And it can be hard then to... Be believed when you're going sh- to share your story or ask for help. And particularly what is challenging is mo- in most often of these cases, so over 80%, the victim knows the person that hurt them. They know the perpetrator. They may even love and care about the perpetrator. So it's even harder then to identify the fact that they were harmed. And then subsequently, when I go to share with somebody, oh, this person that I also love and care about, that you may love and care about hurt me, it's even harder at times for someone to believe that. So I think collectively we've done better of talking about that now and it's created, I think, better avenues for someone to not only recognize what happened to them, but that it was not okay and that help is available.
1: And while we are talking about it more and perhaps on guard to look for it more, the victims oftentimes remain silent. Child
4: abuse in general is one of the most Underreported crimes that there are.
1: Rebecca Stevens is director of the Child Advocacy Center and talks about the scourge of child sex abuse with our Brendan Keeney.
4: Mostly because uh, perpetrators of child abuse are people that the children love and trust and it's, you know, very fearful for them to come forward and report that they're being violated in these ways and oftentimes they don't even have the language to talk about what's happening. I don't think it's happening more often. I think what we're seeing lately is that adults who have um, grown up are being more comfortable talking about it once they've maybe had some therapy, had some healing, had some time to process what they went through, and they're coming out and speaking about what happened to them in the hopes that they can prevent other children now and in the future from being violated the way that they were. You said something that strikes me. I'm, I'm sure uh, I've heard this before, but that most of the times the child knows the person who does the act. Um, is that yeah. so? Is how common is that, like from a ratio perspective, or is it rare for the person to not know the child at all? Yeah, I think you know. There's been one of these myths that I don't know how it happens. Um, But, you know, the the stranger danger teachings that we, as a community, went through in the 70s and 80s where you were teaching your kids not to get in white bands or not to take candy from strangers was really perpetrating a myth about who abusers are. For example, last year in Erie County, at the Child Advocacy Center, 96% of the cases that we saw were cases where that offender was a parent, was a family member, was, for example, a coach or a teacher or someone else that that kid knew and trusted. Only 4% of the time was that person a stranger. And I think we really have um, come a long way in talking about what the reality of these cases are. That sometimes, unfortunately, our homes and our community members or our community's locations are where most of these offenses are taking place. Uh, What are some of the signs so that maybe people, adults in the community, can identify that, or maybe even children who have the cognitive ability to understand more what's going on? What are those kinds of signs? So I think one of the things that we always talk about is who might be perpetrating abuse on children is, um, well, they're generally people that will come off as nice people, They are generally people that um, parents would trust, because if you think about it, they have to have access to the kids. In order to actually abuse a child, you have to be spending time with the child. So that's why you never overlook things like a coach or a family's um, parent or a a minister, unfortunately. Um, But, you know, is that person spending too much time with your child? Is that person... Um, asking questions of your child that are inappropriate. Uh, is is that child or is that person asking questions about your child's appearance? So or making comments about like, hey, you look nice today. Sometimes that might be an offhand comment, but sometimes those little um, tactics about building rapport and building trust with the child, we're trying to actually create a divide between the trust and the parent and the child, versus the the child and the defender is where they have their access. They get the, that child to believe that they love them and care about them, and that what's happening isn't wrong. Um, warning signs of who might be vulnerable would be children who aren't, um, let's say, the most popular kid in class, potentially. Or a child that might be going through a difficult relationship at home, maybe their family's in some turmoil because of a divorce or a death in the family, or there's some sort of trauma or incident that has made that child feel like there's nobody on their side, and this person is looking for a child that needs some extra attention, maybe they're extra shy. Um, Some warning signs that might indicate whether a child has been abused are basic changes in their behavior. And some of these things might be normal depending on their age. Like a a 13-year-old might suddenly become moody because that's just their age. But if they're suddenly moody and they change the way that they're dressing, or they suddenly want to not have anything to do with a specific family member, or they um, change like they won't leave the house unless they're wearing head-to-toe sweatpants because they're completely covered, or they suddenly become much more promiscuous. Any of these things on their own may not indicate that a child has been sexually abused, but as a um, as a grouping, if there's multiple symptoms it certainly should be a warning sign to a parent or to a family member that this is something that they should start asking questions
1: about. You can read much more in depth on Leaving Neverland and the issue of childhood sexual abuse right now at WBEN.com. That's 930 in 716. We're back tomorrow with another edition from the studios of WBEN Buffalo.